Well, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. One of the very, very few podcasts in English that exclusively concentrates on the grandest, greatest competition in South American club football, Mr. Wilson. And this week, well, we were not in South America, not in sunny South America. We were in cloudy, an undisclosed location about 45 minutes north of London uh, in cloudy Great Britain. But nonetheless, we were not deterred because we carried on chatting all things Copa Libertadores. We've had the qualifying stage of the tournament and the group stages are set. There's some great groups as well. As always, there's some stories, there's some subplots. There's a lot of uh, gaps in our knowledge that we need to fill in, Ollie, when we see all these football clubs play uh, play their six games in the groups. But we covered we covered everything, really. We talked about the group stages. We talked about qualification. We gave our predictions. Uh, we talked Roque Santa Cruz, Gachado, uh, Gus Poyet, and so much more. Wilson, this was also the first pod that we got a few... Well, a few. It doesn't doesn't do it justice. We've got a nice little. Um, we've got a great video setup. So yeah, well, mate. what we are, what we're doing is we're doing this very socially distanced. In that we've got you at the very far end of the table. We'll I mean, just, we'll just cut out the handshake we had before the the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fist bump or elbow or whatever it was. Um, I, I, I'm a little disappointed you've given away the fact we're not in Argentina because the backdrop that you've got with mm. the Bombonera just behind you, the, the Libertadores trophy that we now have has uh, will be a centerpiece at some point once we sort it all out and obviously the uh, radiator with some aftershave and a cleaning cloth on it as well i mean it's just it, it screams traditional buenos aires so <laughs> no it's beautifully been, chaotic it's been it's it's nice to do a podcast face to face again Mom. i've not done that for a long time and um yeah it's it was great fun this week watching the fallout from the qualifiers and getting stuck into what is going to be a really interesting Copa Libertadores this year because there are a number of teams that you could put in as favourites and, and who's going to win the competition, which we didn't actually do. We didn't select our our win, potential winners for it. Oh, that's true. I, I was just about to say that I felt we had more questions than answers in this uh, in this pod because this is always the case, isn't it, when you look at the groups and you're thinking, oh, what's that? How's that going to work out? This and that. You're right. We I think last year we gave our prediction for who was going to win it and we gave our top score prediction as well, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, we did that. And we didn't... Do you want to do it now? Start the whole podcast. Yeah, yeah. The, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Who's, uh, who do you think is going to win it? <laughs> I'm going to say Flamengo come bouncing back and Gabby Goal is top scorer. I'm going to say let's scroll a little back to 2019. He's good. They're going to do it again. There's too much quality in that group for them. I don't care, you know, that... There's been a lot of transition. The fact that they've gone through managers really quickly and now Senny's in charge. The quality in that squad is better than anyone else on the continent. And for footballers alone, they will come to the fore and they're going to win the 2021 Copa Libertadores. Go on then, Oli. Look, if, if certain people go certain places, as we discussed on this podcast when we got round to talking about a certain team from Buenos Aires, then my lock-in is there. As I was let down by Boca Juniors last year, I'm not going to be taking them. I feel like I should take one of the Brazilian sides. I'm just not sure who to take outside of Flamengo. And I don't want to be riding on the same bandwagon as you. So I'm going to say, just because I've been impressed with how it's gone through the qualifiers, I could see Santos making a real run and going back to the final and then getting the job done. And yeah, Jefferson Soteldo is the top goal scorer alongside it. Love it. Love it, Wilson. Um, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. 
Bruno Enrique gets in between the two. Victor Cuesta with a fair challenge. Still might fall for Enrique. Flamengo have the lead. Finish with a bomb to put the seal on a fabulous Palmeiras performance. Gustavo Scarpa just helping himself to a goal. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on and fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Apila. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner. Double delight for Bruno Enrique on the night for Flamengo. Get stuck into the football, Mr. Wilson, yeah? Sounds sounds good to me, mate. He's <laughs> happy with that. The twenty twenty-one. Copper Libertadores. Sounds futuristic, my friend. Well, we've finally got here. Yeah. After, But it feels also because the last tournament was sure. not so long ago that it finished. You know, Palmeiras haven't had any time to celebrate their victory. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're in this world now where, like, there are no gaps in the football calendar. And now we've established that the footballing world can function with absolutely no gaps in the calendar. It's hard to see how it ever goes back from that. You know, the previous to prior to the pandemic, there were still six week gaps, three week gaps here and there. If you were lucky, if you didn't go to an international tournament, and now that's kind of been taken away through circumstance in the pandemic, and we've condensed all these tournaments in South America and Europe closer and closer together, and we're playing more and more football. I don't see how we go back from it. I think it's just it's just more and more football until it pops. Well, you know, they can't handle that in Brazil at all because they've got round-the-clock football anyway. So if the Libertadores takes that sort of attitude as well, and maybe, you know, like a lot of competitions, they expand it or do something like Mm. that, there's... Brazilian sides are going to really struggle and go from being, like, the Mm -hmm. supposed dominant force on the continent to being left legless. And they have huge squads anyway. Well, that's it, though, isn't it? Like, if you've got 30 players, then that's how they sort of play every three games. It's insane. Um, I guess a good place to kick things off, Ollie, is (laughs) Group A. Oh, I was well. I was wondering. I've got a few little overall things just quickly. Beautiful. Fire them at me. Fire them at me. Uh, Well, before obviously we had the qualifying rounds finish this week. Before Mm. that, we already had the groups ready to go. Um, At that point, we had fourteen previous winners in this competition already this year, combining uh, all together for thirty-three total titles. Obviously, because teams have won them on multiple times. Mm. Um, Then you add that with. uh, Obviously, those that have qualified, so we lose potentially a, a few with with Gremio, but we add one with Atletico Nacional. We've had uh, two winners in the last 16 years not being Brazilian or Argentinian, which Oof. is, you know, something to keep an eye on because yeah. I think we've discussed before that we want a little bit of a change Colombian on Colombian and... I'm just thinking the last 16 years. Uh, Colombian and maybe Ecuadorian? No, probably not. Not Uruguayan, not Bolivian, not Venezuelan, not Paraguayan. No. I think it might be two Colombians. I'd like to check it out, but I've got so much stuff <laughs> go, 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 on go. me around here. Go, go. Um, and then we also, uh, no repeat winners, of course, since 2000-2001 uh, yeah, with uh, Boca. So we're starting with Group A. So if we're going with that sense, Palmeiras... Are they one of the best sides who have the best chance mm. to repeat after? I, I I love the fact that no sides retained it since Boca in 
2001 only because I do think it's the mark of a really good tournament and I remember when no side had retained the Champions League for so long of course then Madrid did it a few times on the spin I also I always think it's a very very good mark of the tournament yes you just talked about Argentina Brazilian sides dominating dominating it but no uh, no defense of the title for 20 years is is impressive are Palmeiras going to do it this year I don't think so no not to jump straight into it but um, well uh, I've got a few reasons why go on, yeah why they are going to do it no why they're not going to go on then I think no. I'm going to leave it for our, the end of our Group A discussion. Leave it sure, okay. sure, sure. Let's um, <laughs> let's talk about Group A then, Wilson. It's the best group. It's the most exciting group. Palmeiras, Defensa Justicia, Universitario, and Independiente del Valle. Uh, I mean, certainly on paper, when you look at it, the most storylines and subplots, I think, in Group A, and, and the most quality, and potentially the most attractive football we'll see out of mm-hmm. any group. Having watched a lot of Defensor Justicia last year in the Copa Sud, uh, under Hernan Crespo at least, they played wonderful football. They've had success under Sebastian Becker-Sese, who's come to retake the reins once again after his incredible achievement last year, knocking out Flamengo with, with Racing. Um, Independiente del Valle have, have been a joy to watch already in this tournament, and we've waxed lyrical about them. Palmeiras, at their best, play wonderful football. Universitario is one of the biggest sides um, in Peru, so we will see what comes with them. There's high expectations, but it's a tough caliber of opposition to ask them to to really take on. Should we talk about IDV, Ollie? Just because they're the side that kind of got their got their place. <laughs> I don't know whether just the mention of Independiente del Valle makes Ollie Wilson smile ear to ear, but I said in IDV, and he's just <laughs> smiling. Was uh, just just generally a happy man. I just, I just love them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> weird that you pick like a niche team to to get into a bit, cool and it, and it pays off quite well. It's rare for me, anyway, as a Sheffield Wednesday fan. So. No, but it's really, really nice. And I think, I mean, I'm not even sure you can call them underdogs anymore. But let's just talk about how they got here, Ollie, because on paper, certainly in the qualifying stages against Gremio, I mean, that looked to be such a tough test between two top sides. Uh, with very, very good recent history in the competition, of course, Gremio. So the fact that IDV came through that was magnificent. We talked about the first leg in the previous pods where they were so impressive, kept their cool, kept their identity, um, despite going 1-0 down that first leg, which is really impressive. Faravelli was awesome in that first leg. But but we talked about last week, so we could talk about the second leg against Gremio. I mean, even more impressive in many ways, going there and winning 2-1. Wilson and I know Gremio did have chances we talked about this a little bit off pod actually about Diego Souza had a very good chance at a, a, a key time but the ability of this IDV side to, to reinvent itself it is it's such a sustainable model for the long term you know it's not based on a certain group of players even though clearly the players they've lost were crucial and it's going to be hard to replace them but just the fact that you can watch them and they're playing a similar way they're playing with a similar kind of confidence um you know, losing Torres as the, as the focal man, absolutely huge. But Montenegro coming in massive. Ortiz stepping up. Pesciarano, nearly 40, still sitting in there doing a great job. So, I mean, and Faravelli, of course. So, I mean, Ollie, you get hit me. He's, he's itching. Let's he's get itching. that smile back. No, no, talk to me about IDV. No, I mean, obviously, you've lost Caicedo as well. Uh, sure. That's the two key figures going forward for them. They've, they've still maintained, though, a fair bit of the defence, and there's still a lot of the defence left over from 2019's success in the Copa Sudamericana. And and we've mentioned it. 
the the ability to change personnel, including a manager, yet still retain a mm. style and still retain that ability to bring young blood through. That's the thing I'm most excited for to to see, though, particularly the two most impressive youngsters in uh, William Pacho as uh, the defensive anchor coming into the back line and, and Pedro Vite in the heart of the pitch as well. It's a, it's a tough ask, but he has that safety blanket of Pejarano, the experienced man alongside him, which in theory gives the 18-year-old now a really nice cushion to be far more relaxed and get advice during a game and, and you know and just play the football that he wants to play. So I think that that with Independiente Del Valle combined with the fact that Faravelli is come in he st- scored goals already Christian yes. Ortiz his finishing was exceptional against Mate, Gremio. The second goal. The second goal in the second leg. I mean, talk about, it's, it's such a quality two-touch finish. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, I think it's probably my favourite goal of the round. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, they were they, and I, to be honest, I think the set piece is up there as uh, the yeah. free kick he scored as well, because it's it's that difference of the right footer from the right hand side of the eighteen yard box mm. bending it awkwardly back in towards the keeper, so he keeps it so close to the left hand post of the keeper that there's no chance, even with it coming back towards him, that he can save it. It was just two great goals. The the difference as well perhaps maybe more positive for Independiente Del Valle to go one better in terms of they've built from the Copper Sud. They got through to the knockout stages last year and fell short in the round of 16. Mm. But there are players in that side that played last year and will learn from that. And there's still that enthusiasm and that hunger. I have no reason in my body why this team isn't a potential semi-finalist sure well i mean you know reached the final in 2016 so you look at the last five years just amazing i was going to say then ollie is this if it hadn't happened before is this the year then that we're just banned from talking about idv as underdogs or dark horses or minnows you know that that ship has sailed hasn't it i think now I, i think that's true for this bunch of players the only thing is, is that I don't think it's ever going to be a sustainable a ability yeah. for the club because of the way it operates as a team being able to move on players and, and bring more youngsters through. You know, you're going to hit golden patches every so often. We've seen that with the likes of Manchester United and Barcelona in Europe. And Independiente Del Valle might just be the South American equivalent of one of those patches, but they aren't a big enough club to retain and hold on to all of those names for long enough to, to build something really special. Mm-hmm. But they will have flash-in-the-pan moments like these last two, three years where there is an opportunity to do something special mm-hmm. and, and see what happens. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see them. But they've got a tough group because Palmeiras, Abel Ferreira. Do you not worry a little bit with Palmeiras? And I was just looking. Obviously, we saw that they lost the Recopa to Defensa e Justicia, albeit down to 10 men in the second leg and then lost on penalties, a cruel way to lose it. Lost on penalties as well, though, in the Brazilian Super Cup to Flamengo, who were yeah. the league winners. Um all the talk is about they did the incredible treble last year of the regional tournament, the Copa do Brasil and the Libertadores. But it's a, it was a weak, I would say, league campaign for them. And it's been a weak start in terms of big competitions straight away. You know, the Brazilian Super Cup and the Recopa aren't treated lightly. Sure. So to have been crushed in a cruel way in a tough group going into the Libertadores and the pressure of repeating, is there a lot being asked of them and perhaps they're going to fall short? Well, a lot's going to be asked of them very quickly, right? Mm. So, you know, we, we, we've spoken before in this tournament about size. It's true of any tournament, I suppose, but I feel like the Libertadores more than most because it's stretched out over the course of the year, but it's still knockout football, right, Oli? So I think you, you see River do it every year 
Uh, they just ease themselves into the tournament. You don't have to play well in the groups. There's a point here, a point there, a loss there. It's still fine as long as you win a couple of games, pick up you know eight or nine points and you go through. But Palmeiras just aren't going to have that luxury this time around. Um, you know, they are... I'm just looking at the fixtures now uh, that Palmeiras have got. I mean, however you look at it, even Universitario who... Uh, you know, obviously they've they, they, they played so many times in the Libertadores. Um, got such great success uh, in Peru domestically. Was it twenty six titles? Um, so, so they're not going to be easy either. But Palmas just won't have the time, I don't think, to to ease into it. And yeah, the Recopa's going to sting as well. Mm. Really sting. I mean, that's a mar- that's a marker from Defensa Justicia, who will be right. You know, who they'll be absolutely buzzing after what they did in the Sudamericana very, very recently as well. So yeah, Palmeiras won't have any any opportunity whatsoever. And there's a reason that you know sides haven't defended it. But uh, that is a t- that is a tough, tough group. It was interesting as well. There were a lot of people in the kind of the previews that I've been reading of the uh, Libertadores this year saying Palmeiras swept past everybody last season and looked mm. like a juggernaut and. We said so many times they didn't feel like a juggernaut. They were great against River in that first yeah. leg. They were great against the minnow sides that they played in the knockout round. And they had a pretty easy group mm. that included... No, that was Santos had defensive use this year. Probably. I mean, that was a long time ago but now. The group stages for last, last year. Last year, yeah. But, um, but they, they weren't that tested that often. And they almost fell short against River anyway in the yeah. semi-final. So... They got it right in the end in a fairly drab final in the Libertadores. But to say this is a juggernaut that could tear through everybody again. I think it's really naive to go into this Libertadores thinking that way, even though they've kept the bulk of this squad, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And on paper, you would say if this team can win it last year, they can win it this year. Uh, it's a, we're still a really good group of players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't know. Do you want to do predictions now or at the end of the... Um, well, let's do them as uh, we go. As the, uh, the end of the group discussion. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because that's a... I'm, that'll give me a bit more time to make my mind up about Group A as well, because it's tricky. Um, Group B, Mr. Wilson. Olympia, a Paraguay Internacional, Deportivo Chachira, and always ready. It's a poor group. The weakest? Arguably the weakest group F as well, which we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, there's a there's a couple of slight stinkers in the Libertadores this year. It's sure. not one that's going to be attracting a hell of a lot of attention. the The main battle is Olympia against Internacional in who is going to top that group. Mm. Um, and I still have my reservations about Internacional in terms of performing when it matters. When you look at how they let the league title slip last year in Brazil, that's quite damning on them. And this is an Olympia side that uh, will play with a lot of confidence in this tournament because they are used to being in the Libertadores. And look, we've got the the last swan song of Rocky Santa Cruz yeah, retiring yeah. at the end of this tournament. Oh, I'm so. glad you mentioned Molly. I've got a bit of trivia on him. <laughs> no, I was going to say with Olympia, you're right. I mean, you know, I've got three-time winners, four-time runners-up apart from that. So as a football club, there's no doubt that they're, they've um, they've got that massive experience in the competition. Last one in t- uh, 2002 uh, and then into won it a couple of times themselves. I was doing Bayern, I was covering Bayern at the weekend only, right? Mm. This is actually just going to be more of a fact than trivia because you mentioned Roque Santa Cruz's name now. Oh, so I can't, <laughs> and that was kind of the punchline. But um, so Musiala is the Bayern player. No player under the age of 19 has scored more goals for Bayern Munich than Musiala. Okay. Except for Roque Santa, Roque Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz yeah. yeah. And uh, and when he was, um, yeah, when he was a teenager at Bayern, he was banging them in. 
And I was like, that's really interesting because Musiala's really, really, and to be, you know, for Bayern Munich to be scoring goals as a teenager is, is awesome. Uh, and I'm glad he's got, I, I saw he was, I've got, uh, he's going to retire at the end of this season when he's 40. Yeah. Which is a nice. Um, 40 year old. But Adebayor, no more. Now that was, I mean, that was done and dusted almost before they were out of the group stage <laughs> last year. Blinking your like, in, um, out. Yeah. He Not saw needed. the pandemic coming a while off. He was just like, let's get Not out. in South America. No, okay, no, I'll get home no, somewhere. Long gone. Um, Sergio Waterman, who's taken control of Olympia, is uh, actually somebody who was in that 2002 side that won it. So there, there's a feeling of like a club legend is coming back with them coming into this uh, this competition. Jorge Resaldo was the team's top scorer last year. Um, and from what I've gathered, there's a lot of discussion about the quality of youth in their side. But... I think Olympia are going to be a real tough test for an international team that, as I say, just have a bit of a feeling of being a bottle job, albeit with Miguel Angel Ramirez at the helm, the former IDV manager. Mm. And uh, he came in in March, so he's not had much time to get to grips with them when they were going through the latter part of the league campaign. Maybe it could change in the Libertadores. Yeah, and I was just going to say, um, I've got Ottoman as well. Won it as a player with Boca as well. Do you think it makes much of a difference if you won it as a player in the Libertadores? Or do you think it's something that just sounds good? Like it is, a, you see it and you think, oh, that's a really interesting nugget of information. I'm sure that, you know, that experience as a player is going to somehow manifest itself into good tactical decisions. But I mean, or is it just, is it just irrelevant? When you're doing the story, the narrative, yeah. it's great. And when it's you think for an of, intro of, of how he's going to get his players to focus in difficult points. He can draw upon experience of being in crunch moments in this couple of Dodores. He can use that as an inspiration for when I won it, we <laughs> knuckled down in that semi-final against San Lorenzo and like draw on that. So I think there's a nice way that you can kind of spin it to make it work. Yeah. Um, well, the other two sides in the group, as you alluded to, Wilson, it would take a big upset for one of those two to finish in the top two and qualify for the knockout stages of the tournament. I mean, always ready, last competed in the tournament in 1968 and had never won a Copa Libertadores game, which, uh, you know, isn't isn't great. But I know they, they did well in the uh, Bolivian League last year. And then Deportivo Tachira. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew loads about them. I do remember, Ollie them playing in the qualifying stages last mm. year and covering those games against Independiente Medellin who came through comfortably in that in the in the qualifying stages for the group stages last year so yeah uh the Tachira frequently in the qualifying rounds they are the team that has finished second in the Venezuelan league more than anybody else in that country nine time runners up and last in, year as well against Caracas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it, it's a little brutal on them sometimes. Um, their league top scorers last season were only four goals apiece, which I think is quite worrying. Sure. If you're a Tachira fan or a neutral looking to back a niche side, this probably isn't going to be one of them. Um, always ready, only their second appearance in the continent as, in the continental competition as well. It's inexperienced, perhaps going to hinder them. Uh, being Bolivian is definitely going to hinder them because we know how weak that league is. It's going to be an interesting battle, perhaps for third, and who goes down into the Sudamericana. I noticed, yeah, um, which is, you know, it's always. I mean, Defensa Justicia last year, Ollie as well. You know, if you finish there and go into the Sudamericana, it's it's just an awesome. It is an awesome opportunity to go to go deep in that. I was just going to say that the the Deportivo Tachira manager Juan Tolisano is thirty six, and obviously, I'm getting older. You're getting older. We're all getting older. But I'm always uncomfortable now with managers. Like, when did it become a thing that managers are in their 30s? 
like I, 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 I've made my piece that I made my piece that I'm not going to make it as a professional footballer, right? So then, when you see professional footballers, you get still <laughs> hold, still holding out for that managerial role. Uh, but like, I don't know. It just that is less depressing for me now. And like a 19 year old comes in and scores, or like um, uh, we'll talk about Santos later. But Angelo, you know, becoming the youngest scorer in Copa Libertadores history, we spoke about last week. But uh, so I'd made my piece with not making it as a player. But then to see sort of managers that are not a dissimilar age to me, like Nagelsmann, you know, mm. he's probably going to uh, join Bayern. I don't know. It's, it's a little bit. It's a little bit unsettling. The, definitely, the pro sporting career um, potential is fading very quickly. Indeed, is what you're saying. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> a quick one on uh, always ready as well. So they were being managed by Sebastian Nunez um, until about a week ago. Uh, so what happened during obviously COVID? The Bolivian season got messed up. Uh, manager Omar Assad came in mm-hmm. on a 30 day contract. To play Amazing. twelve games in thirty days, Amazing. which is what got them, <laughs> which won them the league. Zero hours. Assad <laughs> won them the league on a zero hours, thirty day contract. Temp- That's how we live our lives as freelancers. <laughs> thirty day contract. Well, I mean, and this is why it pays to do a good job first time round because <laughs> they didn't bring Assad back. They brought in Sebastian Nunez this year, and about a week ago, ditched him. Didn't like the results that they were getting at the moment. Brought back, uh, mm. brought back the league winner. Brought back Omar Assad. So he's now at the helm once again. But for a team that's called Always Ready to have such a balls up in terms of dealing with their manager just before the uh, start of the competition, I thought was um, wonderfully ironic, at least. Nice. I thought we'd run the Always Ready jokes dry, but it's nice. There's no, a no, different, it's... different angle on it. There's more to have. Don't worry. <laughs> Group C, Ollie. Boca Juniors, Barcelona of Ecuador, the strongest, and Santos. It's another really tasty group, isn't it, I think? Especially after, and we can start with Santos, I think, because Santos came through the runners-up, of course, last year and came through the qualification phase uh, to to reach the, to reach the, the, the group stages this year. And I know we're both pretty excited about the Santos side. So youthful, so exciting, really, really impressive in qualifying that you feel they could have another good run. Without doubt, they've been better in, uh, particularly in the uh, qualifying rounds this year than a lot of what we saw last year in the competition. Albeit, you know, it's still the qualifying stages. Perhaps the intensity isn't quite there at that point. But considering the the standard of the, the last games in the final round of qualifiers, to see Santos get through that so comfortably and so convincingly. And, and, and it is the youth that we've mentioned already this season uh, coming through. And it's incredible to see 17, 16, 18-year-olds mm. playing so confidently at this level. I know you're not a fan <laughs> of even seeing them on the field, Windsor. You'd have these, you know, these child labour. Get back in school. Child labour laws being enforced get even more. Get back in school and open up a textbook. <laughs> no, no, of course. Um, yeah, we should say they beat San Lorenzo over two legs. The 3-1 win in Buenos Aires is really impressive. And then at home, kind of the 2-2 draw. Uh, so I cut you off mid-flow there, Ollie. You were just about to talk about the youth. Because, uh, you know, I've got plenty to say about that in terms of Angelo becoming the, the youngest player in Copa Libertadores history. Awesome. But it's just the whole side, isn't it? Like, did you see Marcus Leonardo's goal in the in the second leg against San Lorenzo? Mm. First of all, I don't know if he meant it. I mean, if you haven't seen it, check it out. All the Copa Libertadores goals can be seen free on, on YouTube, can't they? So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, but Marcus Leonardo... Not, not all of them. 
<laughs> I love that. That's a joke. <laughs> Very good. Um, ah, that's a great sidebar that was. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Marcus Leonardo, so he's 17. And he's just like at such an impossible angle against San Lorenzo in that second leg. And he, he scores his first Libertadores goal. I mean, I, I don't think he means it actually, Oli, because the angle's so acute. If he's going for it, I, I just don't think... Um, yeah, I don't think it's a crazy angle, but but they, you know, they were two 0 up, and San Lorenzo pulled a couple of goals back, but it was all done by them. But it's not just um, Angelo and Marcus Leonardo, who's seventeen. Sandri's a good player. Caio uh, Jorge's uh, he's, he's still a teenager, I think. Yeah, who still, else do I really like? Still um, nineteen. Yeah, uh, Felipe Jonathan's, I think, is a really good player. Para for experience, I think he's 35, 36, bounces it all up. And I haven't even mentioned well the keeper, who's also awesome, and our man Jefferson Sotelzo. Who's 23, 24, something like that. Jefferson's old news at this point. 2020 was Jefferson Soteldo's breakout year mm. on the continental stage. Now now he's boss. I mean, to to an extent, though, there is a case. I mean, I, I didn't even think of that before the podcast. But there is a case of now it's Soteldo has to be a leader rather than being the, oh, is he going to break out? Same with Mourinho. You know, is he going to be the next disciple coming out of Santos for, for football around the globe, perhaps? They've been there and, and done that and not quite got the T-shirt. Now it's time for them to lead these youngsters and get them up to that same level. And it was impressive in the qualifying rounds, but it's a tough tournament. It's a fairly good group for them. If depends how much you buy into the hype of Barcelona. But for Santos, they'll, they'll be looking at this and thinking they can get out of this with the youngsters they've got as long as those leaders come to the forefront. Yeah, with, um, with Barcelona, Oli, I just wrote down Damian Diaz. Like, if you've got a chance to watch him play, if you want to watch a footballer that doesn't run, then try and catch Barcelona in Group C in the Copa Libertadores in 2021. He just doesn't run. I mean, he's a walking footballer, and there's not many of those around. I think away from home, you may as well not play him. You're playing with, with 10 men. But at home, if Barcelona can get a little bit of the ball, he's, he's bags of fun, so keep an eye out for him. No, it's all good. Sorry, we've just had a... Uh notification coming on my phone so we've actually got pedro in the podcast today and it will come up on the video oh awesome that, so oh, that's very cool our man pedro <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah 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 flamengo cool. pedro that's yeah. awesome man. um in terms of uh in terms of barcelona yeah damian diaz is i mean walking football's become quite good for the elderly and he is pushing the years on now at 36 so maybe he's looking for a future to get that big ecuadorian walking football league going sure. um <laughs> there is quality elsewhere though and he doesn't need to run that much when he's got Brian Castillo who if you remember from the qualifiers last year was exceptional at bombing down the right and supporting the attack and he really is still one of the highlights of this Barcelona side and the squad going into this um Javier Buray is fantastic yeah. between the posts as well he's a very good keeper 16 clean sheets last season which is impressive indeed considering everything that was going on so yeah the for everything about Damian Diaz's slow pace it's a high-tempo, fast-attacking football team. And the real question is, are we lulled into believing that they can do what we thought we saw them do in the qualifiers? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel likely, does it? There's Boca and Santos in that group. Um, before we talk about Boca, uh, the strongest also there, I mean, they're sort of always there in the Libertadores group stages, I think, more or less. They've got the altitude of La Paz. They're still going to look at that group and be you know, then they're not going to be favourites to qualify. Um, and you, you'd think that that would be Santos and Boca. Boca, you know, anything to say about um, the strongest Oli or, or should we should we chew into Boca Juniors? Uh, 12-time league winners, 18th appearance in the competition, uh, had a 
have had a very bright start to the domestic campaign uh, with 14 goals in their first four games. But again, that is the domestic campaign and it's always difficult uh, on the road. Um, Daniel Vacker, 42 years old between the posts. Jesus. That is an old keeper. <laughs> That's an old keeper. What happened to like mobility of That's a goalkeeper? That's an old keeper, isn't it? 42, yeah. Um, 27 appearances in Libertadores history. So yeah, I mean, they're always they're always there or thereabouts. Um, and uh, obviously, almost 12,000 feet above sea level. Always a biggie. Just to get that in. <laughs> always a biggie. I got beat the strongest... Uh, uh, sorry, beat uh, Jorge Wolsterman did the strongest last weekend um, in the league. And as you say, in good form. Um, and as for Boca, is this the year? I mean, you back them every year, Wilson, so you might as well back them this year as well. Back them one year. <laughs> back them one year and they get to the semi-finals. I mean, and we were all thinking they were going to get past Santos as well. I was looking very good in the run into the semi-finals last year. Um, look, there's uh, an element of stability with Miguel Angel Russo still at the helm. Uh, it's not been the best start to the domestic campaign this year, uh, it's all about the Libertadores. Mm. It always has been, always will be. They're chasing number seven, chasing, joining the King of Cups Independiente. By the way, when we get into Nacional, they claim that they are the true King of Cups, the King of Kings of Cups, apparently. Okay. Uh, we'll get onto that later. But yeah, they need that front man. And over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of rumours that Edison Cavani is due to sign on with them. <laughs> I mean... If that happens, I mean, that, you know, Edison, Manchester United to Boca. I mean, if Edison Cavani joins Boca Juniors, then they then they win the... <laughs> the whole tournament. Well, I mean, he's still absolutely quality. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's game over. They've got the defensive solidarity still. Sure. And they've added Marcus Rojo. Yeah. And then they'll have Edison Cavani to devastate all in front of him defensively. Yeah, I mean, it would be... be, I mean, it's not going to happen because those things don't happen, do they? De Rossi went there. But De Rossi was on the way. Like, okay, Cavani's pushing on. And I think that's a different... (sighs) You might have got me there, Wilson. But no, I think Cavani, it's a different step up, I think. For for a striker who's still banging goals at the top level in European football to go to Boca at this point. You know, there's so many other European clubs that would pay massively increased wages, not to mention MLS, all those kind of options. MLS would be the one that would certainly be like, well, if you're going there, come to Austin sure, FC or Atlanta. Sure, sure. Ronnie Redde is at Austin yeah. providing. So Ramon Abel is gone. One choppy. Yeah. No more. Uh, Carlos Tevez still there, 37. Boca, as you mentioned Ollie, six-time winners, but not since 2007, which we said last year, and the feeling from Boca fans is that that's too... It's too long. Too long now, like yeah. That. It's, 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 that. it's kind of a figure now. They're reaching the semi-finals all these years, but they've got that 2007 in their mind. And they still haven't wiped away what happened against River in the final because they haven't won it since then. So that's still going to be very much present. Um, it really, really disappointing against Santos in the semi-finals last year in that second leg where Santos just just really ripped through them and Soteldo was, was, um, was star of the show. So, yeah, um, Miguel and Russo is still the boss. It's going to be, uh, you know, he, he was the man that, that uh, won the Libertadores with them in, in 2007. So, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see. It's about, it's about finding the guy for Villa and Salvio, Villa and Salvio to, to provide the service for, isn't it now? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the missing piece that they've had missing for a couple of seasons. Sure. 
And they got just, they got a league victory, but it's not mm. going to be enough in the Continental. Yeah, we'll see if if uh, Cavani goes there. God, it'd be so good. Wouldn't it be so good if Cavani just Cavani putting on a Boca shirt on that Libertadores night, regardless of what's going on in the pandemic, you'd have to open up the Bombonera. Would you? <laughs> the atmosphere. Well, open up anyway. <laughs> I mean, so just just as a sidebar on fans and grounds. I mean, we saw the we were talking about the Texas Rangers. Yeah, the the stadium the, yeah. that first let, allowed a full capacity. Yeah, well, certainly the first. I think like Russia's at seventy percent capacity. Um, obviously, we're not going to count zero COVID, like zero COVID, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and stuff like that. But for kind of countries that are just dealing with the pandemic, for better or for worse, I think yeah, as I said, Russia at seventy percent. But that was a statement from, and I don't know my American sport like you do, Ollie, and I'm not saying that a pack. Bombonera is a little bit different to how many, what was it, 30, 20,000 Americans? Like I can't seated. remember exactly sure. how many are in there, but it's a, but, um, it's a big old stadium. Yeah, uh, but it was awesome to see, wasn't it? And I think it caught, you know, if you're, if you're a sports fan, and I don't know anything about the Texas Rangers baseball, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, baseball. Yeah, baseball. And I know baseball's not it's, actually your main some, American sport, is it? Amazing to, um, amazing to listen to this. Yeah. Oh, baseball, baseball, isn't it? You know, the, the one rounders, with, the, yeah, yeah, with yeah. the stick, with the stick. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just great to see fans in in the stadium again. And listen, it will come back. It, it might take, I don't know, another year, but it will it will come back. You, you can already see it in Europe, Ollie, with with Euro twenty twenty, which is of course being played in the summer twenty twenty one. UEFA asking for commitments for fans to be in the stadium, mm. and already you know I know the Dutch, um, uh, the Spanish, uh, England as well have already committed to having fans in. So it is going to come back. It's just there's there's a lot of uh, the problem with it, with it, is you need a lot of organisation. There's a lot of boxes to tick, forms to fill out, temperature checks, lateral flow tests, and I don't quite know if South American football's geared up for that. Probably not at this point. Sure, and obviously they're being battered by by kind of numerous waves of the virus, but you know it will settle down because it. it that's, that's what it does. That was the COVID interlude before Group D here on the Wilson and Windsor podcast. We had a 25-minute COVID chat pre-pod anyway, so yeah. <laughs> got Pretty, we got the solution. <laughs> Group D, Wilson. River Plate, Santa Fe, Fluminense and Junior. Um, yeah, it's another it's another pretty interesting group. I mean, obviously your eyes go towards Rivers, uh, you know, four time winners in the past, and what is it, five out of the last six or seven years they got to the semifinals. Marcelo Gachado is still there. This will be the last year because this sees out the contract. So many players have gone in recent times. Uh, you know, Prato and Scocco, and before that, Palacios and Quintero. Nacho Fernandez, though, feels like a biggie. I know he was quite poor in the back end of the Libertadores last year, but it feels like a biggie. Yeah, Nacho and Quintero. I mean, Quintero eventually wasn't used that often, mm. but a, a wonderful talent to have at your disposal. Both of those two are the ones that I've circled as departures. They're the biggest. I mean, even Lucas Preto is a, another great utility player up front who's um, out on loan at Feyenoord at the moment, You know, likely to return at the end of the season. But... Won't be available for a large part of the group stage. Well, for the group stage. So, yeah, Nacho's departure is more than frustrating. I think if you 
if you're a River fan, and I think if you're an Argentinian football fan as well, because for him to not go to Europe, but to go to Brazil, uh, almost with the 5 million euro tag on him, I kind of think, like, why was there not a European side looking at him and thinking maybe we can... His make age? Something? Yeah. But if it doesn't matter the age if you're good enough. And, and also, like, you know, now more than ever, there's short-termism in the game, right? As, as clubs are just trying to squeeze through this the, the, the pandemic. Mm. So... Yeah, I mean, you would have thought a European club could have taken a punt for, for six months or 12 months, but it's gone to Brazil. That's where the money is. I don't really blame him wanting to secure, you know, financial security for the next two or three generations of his family if they're smart with the money. So, so I, yeah, you know, I don't yeah. begrudge him that. Um, uh, you know, and River, even though they went, out, they went out in the semifinals last year, they probably treated us to the best game of the tournament in yeah. terms of the comeback, and yeah. they, they so nearly did it. So, yeah, I mean, River are going to... As long as Gachado's there, they're, they're, of course, going to be one to watch again. Brought in the really exciting Alex Vigo mm. from Colón. Yeah. Who was, You've been talking about him for a while. Yeah, he was exceptional in the Copa Sudamericana yeah. run that they had a couple of years ago. And, uh, I mean, there was a wonderful moment when we were covering that final where um, Joel Richards on COCOMS, we were waxing lyrical about him. And he said, oh, he's going to be one of those players that could potentially you know, come to Europe and try and make a claim of, of playing in, in a European league somewhere. And he gives the ball away and Jon Sanchez breaks in behind in that space and scores for Independiente Del Valle to make it 2-0 just as he'd finished saying that. And Happens, like, man. The commentator's curse or what. But he is, he is a very good young <laughs> right back. What that means for Montiel is the and his future at the club is very interesting then. Um, and uh, Jonathan Madama, I think I'm saying that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad- yeah. Madonna. Madonna, yeah. yeah. 35 Won the Libertadores with both Boca and River has come in as a bit more stability as well mm-hmm. defensively. So Yeah. So and I, I was just also going to say, as long as they've got, of course, Gachado, but as long as they've got Borre and Suarez as the top two. Seven goals to start the season, Borre, already. I mean, he, that's a good start. He, uh, he's, he's fantastic. But mm-hmm. yeah, Borre's been fantastic for, for, for years. He's quality. I mean, had that brief spell in Europe. Still must be, I think, 25, 26. So I, that's another one that you think... Couldn't a European club have taken a punt on him? If you're going to create chances, Borre can score goals for sure. And and Suarez as well, who doesn't get spoken about sometimes that much, I think, Oli. Mm-hmm. I, I remember him. I remember watching him and commentating on him when he played for Anderlecht way back in the day. And uh, I, I really liked him then, and he's great He's great for River. So if those two can stay fit, plus I know River have got some young players coming through, then, uh, then yeah, I mean, they could go deep again. And then we got the, uh, the Colombian... Both sides, Independiente, Santa Fe and Junior in this group that they will have to deal with. I mean, you you saw a fair bit of Junior in the last couple of weeks. I saw a fair bit of them last season um, in their sort of Americana run after they dropped out of the Libertadores again. It's another year where they're expected to be a a good side in this competition. And, And the one tagline that was thrown at them basically over the last 12 months regarding Libertadores and sort of Americana play is that they are never as good as the... uh, all their parts the the sum is never matching all of their parts put together mm. and it's um it is it's such a shame because you keep hearing about it and people in Colombian football waxing lyrical about the potential and if it doesn't come to fruition it kind of leaves a negative mark on your record and people have a i think you get a bit more disdain if somebody bigs you up and you don't meet the standards Whereas if somebody was like junior, they're not going to do anything. And then they finish third in a group or, you know, they get an unlikely away win or something. Then you have a more positive feeling towards them. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because I did, uh, you know, watched um, a fair bit of them through the second stage of 
qualification where they where they smashed Caracas five two over over two legs, and then um, and then of course they played they played Bolivar in the in the third phase of qualification before the group stages, Oli, and we chatted on the pod last week where I quite fancied Bolivar to... Not having any of that. None of that. Sneak through, but Junior did the job. And, I mean, mate, Miguel Borja, he's a really good striker. And if you, if you give him opportunities, I mean, he, he, the one he took in the, in, the, in the second leg against Bolivar when they reversed it and won 3-0 was, was relatively simple. But there's, a, there's quite a sweet combination between Freddy Hinostrosa and, and Miguel Borja. And those two dovetail nicely. You've got Teo Gutierrez who kind of tucks in behind and that really works as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's quality there like the goalkeeper as well, Vieira. So, yeah, I mean, Junior, I think they're looking at that group and, and they're thinking... Santa Fe, Fluminense, like we can finish second here. Yeah, the, the devil you know in terms of Santa Fe. Um, and Fluminense, yeah, it's interesting in terms of they are what looks like a very young squad. Statistically, there's been a lot of young players actually playing in the um, in the regional tournaments. They've they've got another Kaiki. Um, this one yeah. plays in the forward line, though, 17 years old. This what? one's going to Manchester City or similar, right? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, by all accounts, he is a really promising youngster to, to keep an eye on. Um, Marcus Martinelli as well in the midfield and John Kennedy too as a forward. All of them have been heavily involved in the regional tournament at the moment. All of them expected to play in this Fluminense side uh, under the guidance of uh, Roger Machado. Um, Yeah, Fluminense though, again, another side that have disappointed when I've watched them in the international competitions. They against, I think it was, they against Peñarol in the Copa Sudamericana a couple of years ago. That looked like it was going to be a titanic clash and then they both kind of just fizzled out a fair bit and it's a name that outside of south america you've heard of right like as in fluminense it's like you think i don't know why though yeah it's an odd one because historically you know the runners up in 2008 in the libertadores fluminense it's not kind of a great um history in terms of this platform but yeah if, if you're a football fan but you don't follow south american football and someone says fluminense to you you're like oh yeah you you, you get it which you might not with some other clubs that have got had similar quote-unquote levels of success yeah i mean like a botafogo wouldn't sure. stand out to the regular football viewer compared to fluminense but i mean this was yeah something when i was doing the research uh, and preparing for this i was like why because i will have i've known them for a very long time like mm. probably since i was quite young is it the shirt yeah i mean it's an iconic combination the white mm. purple and green it's a it's an awful combination <laughs> as well but yeah, it might be that. It might be because Fluminense and Flamengo uh, basically often get mixed say, together. Is it like Flamengo or Flamengo? We know the biggest club in Brazil, the most supported club on the continent. So is it just that that kind of um, the spillover really from Flamengo and the fact they have that rivalry that, that makes them, uh, yeah, that makes them well known to, well, not well known, but makes them certainly recognised to those outside the, the South American football sphere. Maybe. Um, and Santa Fe, uh, again, more youth in the side there's apparently uh, from what I've been reading a very good centre-back pairing of Jason Palacios and Ferner Torrejano um, which is very useful for a side that tend to be very front foot front foot forward I mean it's kind of nice a lot of these teams when you go back and look at how the style of football they play it's very attacking and aggressive so then having a solid centre-back pairing like that gives you such a good anchor to prevent being devastated on the counter-attack when other teams come at you yeah, I mean, like, like, I mean, I haven't seen loads of Santa Fe, but I, I was reading some of the stuff as well. And Simon Edwards, the Colombian football expert, just said they're fun, which is always like a great adjective to describe a, mm. a club that you haven't necessarily seen loads of. So, so certainly be keeping an eye on them. Yeah, but aside from that, there's not much more on Group D, really, except for picking who's going to go through. We'll do that 
mm. later on. But yeah, I think there's. I think it's an open one before we get into who we think is going through. I think that second spot is very much. <laughs> Group E then, Wilson. Sao Paulo, Racing, Sporting Cristal, and Rentistas of Uruguay. The uh, the rookie Rentistas. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Shall we? Can we just start with them and Sport Sporting Cristal because we don't need to donate that much time to either of these two sides. Not sure, to be completely sure. dismissive of them, but Rentistas in their first appearance in this tournament, um, won no, the cool. a- yeah won the Apertura last year, and then finished in the very bottom of the clausura and almost were relegated and instead ended up finding a place in the Copa Libertadores because of the way that Uruguay has finished its season. I mean, if there is ever a side that screams, it's probably out of its depth. (laughs) I was going to say, we won't give them much time now, Ollie, but then when they get to the semifinals, we'll be saying, yeah, you know, we saw them. uh, Yeah, yeah, we saw them back in the day. Well, they were were always a side that I've had a real affinity for back when we were covering the uh, Uruguayan league down at Perform, you know? (laughs) Sure. Um, and then Racing and Sao Paulo, who, I mean, just on the face of it, you'd, you'd fully expect them to come through. And Sao Paulo's going to be fascinating this season. Hernan Crespo at the yeah. helm, Rui Costa is the kind of the club's director, this, um, or the GM. They will be wanting to avenge last year as well, because they were so disappointing in the end last year in that, albeit a tough group with River and Liga de Quito and B Nacional. But, I mean, they lost in Peru against B Nacional, albeit the altitude and everything impacted, but... It was a Sao Paulo side that were back in the Libertadores and then looked completely like they were just carried away with just being in it rather than being prepared for it. Mm. And I don't think Hernan Crespo is going to make that mistake. He's had the experience of last year with Defensor Justicia. He's had the experience of winning a continental competition in the Copa Sudamericana. They play, well, they played Defensor Justicia great football. If Sao Paulo can emulate that, and Crespo again has had his time now after coming in, what, February to take that role to get used to this squad. No Pato, Danny Alves still there as like the the talisman, I suppose, and and Eder, the Italian forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, never that. had like a massively promising career, but you know, a good name to have and a good signing up. We spoke about Hernan Crespo a lot, I think, back end of season two of the pod, Ollie, with obviously what he accomplished with Defensa Justicia and then winning the the Copa Sudamericana. And I was actually just I was watching an interview that he did for um, Inter TV. Uh, the other day, Hernan Crespo, and he was talking about his adjustment to to living in Brazil. And he was, I, I thought it was a really intelligent way. He was talking about it so holistically about, uh, you know, learning the language. And it was really interesting going to all these different places and seeing different parts of Brazil. And uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was a really, it was just really mature. And he sounds like he's really bought into the whole experience. Um, and we said, you know, we said before that there's not much loyalty either way in football. So, you know, he bowed out of the top at Defensive Justicia. Mm. Probably the right thing to do. That doesn't mean in six weeks he doesn't get the sack, though, at, at Sao Paulo, does it? I mean, that's the that's the nature of the game. But what success for him, do you think? Getting out of this group is imperative. Mm, of course, yeah. That, that's the, the one that he has to achieve. Sure. I think Sao Paulo will be expected to make a really good fist of it. Mm. Um, Crespo's got a good squad there. They brought in uh, Luis Orejuela from uh, Gremio and Cruzeiro, uh, where he's been in the last couple Remember of years. Remember, good player, yeah. Um, They've started brightly in the regional tournament as well, so it's uh, yeah, it should be it should be there for them to get through this group and 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 go further. And 
I mean, it's great that you talk about Crespo like that. You know, he never had problems as a player adjusting to the different yeah. countries that he played in. It does show maybe a sense of maturity that he is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really keen for Crespo and Sao Paulo to do quite well. Mm. Racing? Yeah, I mean, it's a good group for Racing. You know, it's a really good group for them, I think. That they'll be fully expected to beat Sporting Cristal and and Rentistas of Uruguay, <laughs> who we're gonna I'm gonna delve into them uh, <laughs> before the before the games coming up in the in the first phase of games. But uh, yeah, I mean, Racing will 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 really expect to go through. You'd say I know Becasas has obviously left the club, so it's a bit of a transition. But yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting without Becca Sesso. The fashion sense on the sideline is going to be uh, very low indeed. Suboptimal. Juan Antonio Pizzi is a very, inexper- inex- uh, very experienced manager, should I say. Uh, so, yeah, Thomas Chankalai coming in as well. It's a wonderful addition to the front line. Again, another one of the Cologne side. Uh, was was young, off the bench a lot in that Copa Sud, but when he did come on, he made a, a very good impact. Um, yeah, was an awesome player to watch. So that that's a great addition to their squad. Lost Lissandro Lopez. Um, unfortunately there's been like a fair bit of change at Racing over the last uh, few years uh, for the last 12 months or so um, they obviously lost Zaracho last year to Atletico Mineiro and we'll see him back in this competition so the attacking lineup potentially a few question marks over it but um, yeah it, it, Racing will again in the group they're in second place quite comfortably <laughs> And well, we I think we can, yeah, kind of rattle through the the last three three groups really. I mean, Group F, Nacional of Uruguay, Universidad Católica of Chile, Argentinos Juniors of Argentina, and Atlético Nacional of Colombia. It feels open that one, and I think I meant I think I said earlier that I felt Group B was the poorest, but actually, Group F maybe. I mean, I know there's. Atletico Nacional came through, came through qualifying. I know they've won it a couple of times before in their history, but is Group F the weakest group? Do you think of the lot? Uh, it's tough because, there's a, as I say, there's a couple of pretty weak groups in these uh, last few. I mean, Group G's pretty solid. Uh, group H, I don't think, is necessarily great. Considering, I don't think personally, Sarah Porteño have actually done that much there. I was sorry, Ollie. No, I was just going to talk about um, Atletico Nacional in there, in in because they came through qualifying to 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 reach the to to reach the group stage of the competition. Actually, so Libertad won the first leg one nil, and then took a really early lead through another teenager uh, in Ciso to to make it in in the second leg. Um, they took the lead, so so they were two nil up in the in the tie, and they were in such, you know. Libertad were in such a good position and Atletico Nacional eventually came back to win 4-1. Uh, but but Libertad did have an amazing opportunity through Ferreira at one stage to, I think I think it was at 2-1. So, so that, you know, it might look comprehensive in the end, but really it wasn't. And it was very, very tight for Atletico Nacional to, to come through with a really impressive second half performance. Um, yeah, they, they've got quality. Andrade is a good player. Uh, Palasa was lively. Alves leads the line well. Yeah, Barrera tucked in behind. Certainly, that's uh, the of what I saw. Just taken mainly off the basis of those uh, 
of the of that return leg. They um that's the quality they've got. So yeah, be interesting. Yeah, they uh described as the greatest club of the world in history and the true king of cups in the world, being winner of twenty one trophies where most of its players defeated in the same year players from European clubs such as Real Madrid and Barcelona. <laughs> Which um may sound a little arrogant, I think. <laughs> I mean, if we're calling Independiente perhaps not quite the king of cups mm. anymore, that's another... Oh, pretty... no, they still get that title. They, But we're not giving the <laughs> the true king of cups and best <laughs> club in the world. We're not, we uh, not allowing Nacional to have that one. Um, yeah, quarterfinalists last year, albeit by good fortune, I think. Um, they don't play attractive football. That for me is one, you know, for a neutral looking into the couple of Tadores, they're not a side that you're going to look at and be like, ooh, ooh this could be tasty. Sure. Um, Alejandro Capuccio has come in this year, hasn't really changed the style of, of play that much from from what I've seen so far. And um, yeah, I imagine they'll be relying on uh, Bagresio for the goals in this competition, but they've been handed a very tidy draw against three teams that I think will probably end up struggling. Mm. Yeah, it does look weak on paper, you'd have to say. Um, Group G, Flamengo of Brazil, uh, Liga de Quito of Ecuador, Velas Sarsfields of Argentina, and Union La Calera of Chile. Um, I mean, Flamengo's kind of a club, Ollie, that we just haven't, you know, considering how much we spoke about them, obviously because they went and won it, but it, it's it's kind of odd, really, how they they uh, how ultimately they didn't didn't manage to to defend their their trophy at a point where this time last year, more or less this time last year, in our preview pods, uh, you know, in our preview pod, there was certainly it was very very hard to see how Flamengo with that quality, weren't going to do something very similar. Talk about sides trying to repeat the couple of Tadores and yeah. how tough it is, but we were very convinced that Flamengo and that side should I mean, be at a semi-final stage. And the the loss to Racing was, was, well, caught everybody by surprise, albeit on penalties. And again, you know, once you get it to that point, it's a complete lottery. But but they weren't that stunning last season in the tournament. Um uh, Rogerio Seni's now in and uh, you know another new manager it doesn't scream of stability in terms of what's going on off the pitch however on the pitch it, it's still very much a lot of the core group of players yeah. that won it two years ago so when you've got that talent in front of you and it is a talented squad there's absolutely no reason that Flamengo once again we can't look at and be like well this is a group they will probably get through and this is a group that they can use as a launching pad to then fly off into uh into the knockout stages and do very well. Yeah. No, when I, it is interesting that they have kept that, they have kept that quality. I mean, we, of course, Bruno Henrique and Gabby goal as the, the two players that are going to, going to score all the goals and, and, and everything. But, uh, Dara Asqueta as well, just, just absolute quality. Um, Everton Ribeiro, I think still there. I mean, yeah. they've kept all these players, haven't they? So, so who knows if, he, if, um, or Harry Osani can get a can get a tune out of them, then then they really should be one of the one of the red hot favourites again. And then you take in uh, Liga de Quito, uh, Christian Borja, uh, Christian Martinez Borja, excuse me, the uh, Ecuadorian top scorer last year is going to lead their front line, and um, yeah, they're they're always a tough side to to take on at any point. Um, Liga de Quito, they're, they're they're usually a good watch as well. 
uh, particularly on home soil. Mm-hmm. Tough place to to go and play, of course, with the the altitude. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, uh, they've got a player on loan. Uh, he's going to be taking on his parent club, which is always quite interesting. In Luis Amaria, okay. who is on loan from Vélez Sarsfield, and okay. uh, will take on his parent club in the group stage. And I was just thinking about Vélez. Is that is there a stadium near the airport? Yeah, it's the one we drive past. Yeah, yeah. On the on the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Vélez making up the the, the the other side in Group G. Then final group, Group H. Yeah, this is this is the one that I think could be as weak as any group, only because Sarah Potenio. They weren't great when they went to the knockout stages and got knocked out by River a couple of years ago. They they were poor last year for a lot of it. And um, Atletico Mineiro, look, the standout side, America de Cali again were back in it last year after a long absence and are a big side in Colombia. But again, they've now been given that tagline of a fun team to watch now, but they weren't that fun last year. And then, uh, yeah, the Venezuelans Deportivo La Guayra. Excuse me. Guayra, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Atletico Mineiro's group for me. Mm. Um, just the signings that they've made, as we've touched on them already with Nacho Fernandez, uh, Matias Saracho, uh, who came in last year. They've got Hulk, Diego Tardelli, who was a winner with uh, Mineiro back in 2013. Uh, experienced in uh, Eduardo Vargas, who's come in as well. Uh, Alan Franco in the heart of the midfield, former independent Del Valle yeah. player. I mean, they're, they're a very solid squad. And that's what actually Pedro, the uh, Flamengo analyst, has said to us, that they are, they've are they spent a bit of money, but they've spent money wisely on building a squad that could succeed. So, yeah, I mean, I don't don't know your thoughts on Sarah Potenio and how that... My mind was, as soon as you brought up IDV, I was just thinking, you told me this. Where did Torres go, Oli? Did he go to the MLS? No, he's gone back to wherever he was on loan, which I can't remember off the top of my head. In Europe? No. Okay. Because um, he was... Yeah, no, you, as soon as you mention IDV, it kind of, uh, it pops into my head like that. But yeah, kind of the further the down the groups you go, the more you think they, they, they feel more open. And there's perhaps two or three groups where all four sides will, will fancy their chances. Um, before we go predictions, Mr. Wilson, you were about to tell me about um, where Torres has ended up. Oh, he's uh, playing in Mexican football. At the ah, that was it. You did tell me this as well. Yeah, he, uh, he's gone out to UNAM. Yeah, okay. Pumas, yeah. So that's where Gabriel Torres will be uh, missing big moments in um, <laughs> in vital competitions. <laughs> Group A, he's going through out of Palmeiras Defensive DCA Universitarian IDV. Defensa e Justicia and Independiente del Valle. Oh! And I will tell you why. Palmeiras have a chock-a-block schedule in the next few weeks. So they have 14 games between now and the end of May. And April and May, is so it's hugely bunched with the, uh, the regional tournament and this. And they start off away at Universitario, which they've already had a busy schedule at this point, so that could be difficult. They've get, then got IDV at home, away at Defensa, and then IDV. The two easiest games are the bookends of this tournament, of this group, sorry, for them. So I think that middle two or four games against those other two clubs could come at a time where they're quite tired and running out of steam. 
and defending the crown as well. Look, I could be wrong. This is a bold prediction, but I'm just eyeing it up and thinking, Sure. you know, the Jekyll and Hyde style of Palmeiras and what we see from them and then chuck in the, the busy schedule as well. It's going to be like that for a lot of the Brazilian clubs too. I'm saying Palmeiras and IDV to go through. Okay, fair enough. What about Group B then? I I, I think unless you've seen a lot of Deportivo Tachira are always ready and can identify something that means they would usurp Olympia and Inter, I mean, it's got to be those two. Either one who tops the group, it doesn't matter to you? Or? Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to them, I don't think. Uh, group C. What about you for Group B? The same. Yeah, it's yeah. Got to without be, a yeah. doubt. I mean, you can't go sure, anywhere sure. else, can you? And I think Group C, I mean, again, it, it should, you know, it's, I don't want to just go for the easy option, but it has to be Boca and Santos. It's so difficult to see how the strongest of Barcelona could get through. On paper, it lines up that way. Uh, like Barcelona, we, we bought into and were treated harshly with that last year. So, yeah, it has <laughs> oh, to be. hate them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dead to me now. Yeah, yeah, dead to yeah. Me. No, I agree. Uh, group D, um, this is tougher. This is a lot tougher. Uh, it's easy to say the Brazilian and Argentinian side. I think I might go junior, though. Junior and River Plate because of the experience in recent years in the tournament. I agree. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I know. I saw enough of Junior in qualification this year that makes me think. Uh, Making predictions off qualification always turns out really. Yeah, well. it does. <laughs> and I know I also said that I thought Bolivar would do. But yeah, I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say River and Junior as well. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Nacional, Universidad Católica, Argentinos Juniors, and Atlético Nacional as well, who were fantastic in the second leg of their uh, qualifiers against Libertad uh, skipped group E oh Jesus Sao Paulo and Racing I assume you were going to say apologise yeah <laughs> well the, uh, another another given don't another worry banker, about it another banker yeah, yeah. It, but, it, but it is like that it really does feel like that and that's you know you can't predict that Rentistas are going to to find a way through they may, they may do so um, yeah Atletico Nacional group F then Atletico Nacional I wasn't impressed with them at all. I thought Libertad could have maybe should have put them out. I know it was a very impressive second half performance in the second leg from Atletico Nacional, but I wasn't impressed. So I'm going to go Universidad Católica and Argentinos Juniors to go through. Ooh, okay. Um, I'm not going to go with Argentinos Juniors. I'm going to take the Colombians Atletico Nacional. And yeah, I, I think I could take Católica. There's still the experience. Fuenzalida, Luciana Aued to lead that team. Uh, there again, there's a lot of talk of some of the youngsters coming through for Catholica. Uh, Got to love Gustavo Poye. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's go with. Uh, I'll go with Catholica and uh, Atletico Nacional. Another one of the qualifiers getting through. And then Group G and H. I mean, again, correct me if you're gonna if you're gonna say something wildly outside the norm. But you know, I think Flamengo and Liga de Quito, and then Sarah Porteño and Atletico Mineiro have to go through. Vélez, Sarsfield and Flamengo in Group G. Okay, I, I really liked Vélez last year in the Sudamericana. Um, they've got a very good front three of Ricardo Centurion, Lucas Hansen and uh, Christian Tarragona. Um, yeah, uh, Orijano and uh, Thiago Almada too in the heart of the pitch. Uh, both very good. Orijano is a good youngster. And uh, Mauricio Pellegrino as well, as we know, is a very good manager. So I would take them. It's going to be a frustrating one for Liga de Quito, I think. And then Group H... Atletico Mineiro, and then for me, it feels like a bit of a coin flip between America de Cali and Cerro Porteño. I just like Cerro Porteño, I think. 
they did give us that great atmosphere. Yeah. And there's always something like the about ground. That, so. And I mean, I'm not saying there are fans in there, but I, yeah, I like the ground. I don't know. I like the weight of the club. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with Francisco Arce and Sarah Porteño then. But it's Miniera topping the group. Oh. Quite, quite, quite easy. So that's the runners and riders in this year's Copa Libertadores group stage. Who do you think is going to be going through this year? You might want to tell us. You can let us know at WillWinPod on Twitter. That's at WillWinPod on Twitter. And the same on Instagram as well. You can follow the only Twitter account that is perhaps as active as the Wilson and Windsor podcast account. And that is, of course, Mr. David T. Windsor on Twitter. That's at David T. Windsor, at David T. Windsor. And myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. Like and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor.fm, our host, and all of those other places as well. And we will be back next time as we start the journey to Gloria Eterna. The group stage is on our doorstep, but who is going to be making it to the knockout round? It's only going to take a few weeks to find out, and we'll be through all of it here on the podcast.